You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman. As we open in a word of prayer, blessed are you, O Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua. We will not forget that six million of our people have perished. We know it's more than six million. We will never, we will not forget its lessons. That the evil in the heart of man is great beyond our understanding. We will not forget. That some were noble and righteous and stood with us in darkness. That we will not forget. But you've given authority to man in this earth. And apart from your ruach, almost unlimited evil can be done. We will not forget. That had you not left us a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We will not forget. That your new covenant people were weak in prayer in Europe. Could not prevent the horrors of that day. We will not forget. Lord, that in your mercy, Israel was born out of destruction. The dry bones live. You have promised to Abraham, our father, that we would not be utterly cut off. We will not forget. And Lord, that you have begun to turn us back to yourself. The blindness toward your son is lifting The ecclesia returns to favor Zion and its Jewish origins. The day of our redemption is drawing near, O God. We will not forget. That you will yet bring us to fulfill our destiny in the middle of the nations. Though Hasatan sought to destroy us, to thwart your plans, the word of the Lord shall go forth from Zion. We will not forget that. And as Yeshua wept over Jerusalem, So you wept at the pain and suffering of your people. And in compassion you experience every sorrow we will not forget. Lord, eternal wrath awaits the unrepented evil who do evil. You did not forget your people Israel. Your righteous judgment will prevail. We will not forget. Blessed are you, O our God, our Heavenly Father. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu avinu malkeinu. You remember your covenants forever. Amen. Many still wonder today what the Holocaust teaches us about God. But it seems a better question today is what the Holocaust tells us about our human heart. As for Adonai, God himself, I believe he tells us how he feels toward this kind of suffering. Solomon writes this, quote, rescue those being dragged off to death. Hold back those stumbling to slaughter. If you say, look, we didn't know this, won't he who weighs hearts perceive it? Won't he who guards your soul know it? Won't he repay each one according to his deeds? I think God has rendered his opinion to us on how he feels toward this type of suffering. Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. And while we grieve, like the Lord does, 
as we remember today the one-third of our people, our Jewish people who perished, we should also recall that if it wasn't for the intervention of God, the remaining two-thirds would not have survived. Explaining the Holocaust is really about millions of personal stories, isn't it? But they're so horrendous, these stories, so beastly that few people, and again, there are some here today that cannot bear to hear these stories. The late Holocaust survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner Elie Wiesel once wrote, quote, Sometimes I am asked if I know the response to Auschwitz. I answer that not only do I not know it, but that I don't even know if a tragedy of this magnitude has a response. What I do know is that there is response in responsibility. So it's well understood among the Jewish people that one of the primary ways to fight the type of anti-Semitism that eventually led to the Holocaust is to do what we're doing today, is to educate people, the broader public as well, with respect to both not only the historical developments as well as the specific intellectual thought patterns that made such a horrific event even possible in our world. In addition, not only are there widespread differences and responses between Jews and non-Jews, even within the Jewish community on a global scale, we remember very differently. We as a Messianic Jewish community are gathered this morning to observe Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is a day, and you would agree with me, that takes on even greater significance and urgency as survivors are dying every year. Deniers are becoming more brazen and haters of Israel. And our Jewish people continue to fling language of the Holocaust against our people and our politics. For today's Jewish community, there is no other event as important. There is no other event as disturbing and no other event as horrifying and no other event has done more to shape self-identity and to galvanize commitment to Jewish survival and continuity than the murder of six million plus European Jewish people. We proclaim the slogan, never again, even though signs everywhere in our world point to an extreme rise over the last decade as well of anti-Semitism in the world. The Anti-Defamation League has reported that anti-Semitic hate crimes in America have seen the largest single-year jumps in the past few years. Today, people outwardly express their hatred towards the Jewish people. Whether it's a 4,000-word manifesto of a 19-year-old who opened fire nearly three years ago on men, women, and children praying at a Poway synagogue, murdering Lori Gilbert Kay and wounding Chabad Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein, Almag Peretz and his eight-year-old niece Noya Dahan, originally from Sterot, Israel, or open statements by politicians like Minnesota Congresswoman Ilan Omar going back 10 years now, blaming the Jews for the world's problems. The sickness of hating Jews, just because they are Jews, that is spreading, my friends, like cancer. Reaching people, young people, old, school kids, and adults. And that's not to mention the media bias against Israel. One-sided pro-Palestinianism, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS, and the resurgence of replacement theology repackaged as a principle of, quote, social justice. All of that's on the rise as well. You know, when the Israeli government and the American Jewish leaders 
first debated establishing a day on the Jewish calendar to remember the six million Jewish people who were murdered in Europe. It was the late 1940s, and we were just beginning to come to terms and to grips with the unspeakable losses that had occurred. And so when Holocaust Remembrance Day was established on April the 12th, 1951, there was finally the opportunity to mourn publicly. Thousands of families wiped out without even one grave marker as we were praying earlier before the service about so many of those that we don't even know about. Wiped off the earth. Survivors had to start new lives without their mothers, without their fathers, without their wives, without their husbands, without children and siblings. And over the years from 1951, more stories of horror have come to light. My friends, this did not happen in secret. World leaders knew it was happening and either gave it their tacit approval or were reluctant to recognize the scope of what was occurring. Holocaust Remembrance Day is a painful reminder of unspeakable evil made manifest in a civilized world. We remember the Holocaust every year at this time in order to make sure, again, that it never happens again lest we forget. The fact remains that a failure to remember the Holocaust means a failure to learn and a greater chance of repeating history. I'm going to ask you after the service to spend some time. John Neal, who teaches uh, world history at Grossmont High School, this is what he teaches his students, and I believe it's an entire week of Holocaust education, not just a couple of hours. And so when Jewish leaders in America and in Israel debated about the need for a day of Holocaust remembrance. They were really hesitant to create a day so focused on loss and death and powerlessness. And so that's why Israel's Knesset designated the 27th day of this Jewish month of Nisan that coincided with the start of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Our Jewish people managed an unparalleled demonstration of courage at that time. And so this act of resistance by our people was a sign, yes, we could fight back, even if in the end we failed. And in that way, the memory of death and persecution is linked with the recollection of Jewish valor. Holocaust is an English name for the genocide of the six million of our people in the Nazi death camps of Europe. This name was taken from the Greek word holocauston, a translation of the Hebrew word olah, referring to a burnt offering that is totally consumed. Yet were our six million plus Jewish people burnt on some altar as an offering to God? Perhaps shoah is a better word from the Hebrew word meaning destruction or calamity. The Shoah is always with us. Not just today, not just one service a year. It's always with us. The evil has been cross-examined from every angle, but we continue even today to strive to understand it. Hundreds of books, thousands of articles have been written to describe this devastation in one way or another. It has analyzed the events, shattered lives. It's analyzed their lives from a political, a historical, a sociological perspective. And like the tattooed numbers placed on Jewish arms by the Nazis, its memory of pain and horror, treachery and murder is also tattooed on the soul of our people. We today still feel that stranglehold as a people in our diminished numbers. Yes, we're still here. 
a small remnant of the Jewish people. But between our low birth rates, between our assimilation rates, between our conversions to other religions, our numbers as a people are small and they are rapidly shrinking. We are an insignificant percentage of the world's population. Europe, once was thriving with Jewish life, is now today a shadow of its former Jewish self. Yet, throughout all of our history, no matter how terrible a challenge that we have faced or a tragedy that we have endured, we as Jews have never lost hope. We haven't. We're moved by words such as that were found in a concentration camp that said this, I believe in the sun, S-U-N, when it is not shining. I believe in love when I feel it not. I believe in God when he is silent. And so above all else, our responsibility in the face of the great calamity that is the Shoah is to do exactly that. Never, ever lose hope. Such a hope, a loss of it, would hand Adolf Hitler and, his, the, and the adversary behind Hitler's actions the victory that he has been denied. Hitler understood, though, that it's possible to steal hope. How? By systematically just deadening the human spirit. He knew that perhaps greater than the human inclination for evil was the inclination to indifference. British historian... And Nazi Germany expert Ian Kershaw agrees when he writes, quote, The road to Auschwitz was built by hate, but it was paved by indifference. And so today we ask ourselves, has our indifference, has the world's indifference eclipsed our hope for humanity? I hope it hasn't. The Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces, General Dwight Eisenhower, also understood, as Hitler did, this human inclination for indifference. And so, but he was a man of hope, Eisenhower. He was determined that witnessing was not going to be futile. And so as the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington is shown to be a matter of history, it's shown to be a matter of history that when he liberated the death camps of Nazi Germany, he ordered that all possible photographs be taken. And for the German people from surrounding villages to be ushered through each camp and even be made to bury the dead. He did this because he said words to this effect. Get it all on record now. Get the films. Get the witnesses. Because somewhere down the track of history, some bastard will get up and say that this never happened. And we've seen that today. He was prophetic. He was prophetic. In knowing that there would be always be those who would be so filled with hatred that they would deny what had been perpetrated. My friends, even recent excavations of the Polish camp Treblinka, bulldozed by the Nazis in 1943, continue to show the truth to the world about these Shoah. Several years ago, the University of Kentucky removed the Holocaust from its curriculum. Because it offended the Muslim population at, this, at the school, which claims that it never happened. That's a frightening example, isn't it? Of the fear, the political correctness that is gripping the world and how easily 
each country is giving into it. And so in order to approach the Shoah from a Messianic Jewish perspective, I believe a good place to begin is by understanding that it's a lot more than just man's inhumanity to fellow man. No, it represents, here's what it represents, an outpouring of demonic fury against the Jewish people. You see, in a sense, it was just another one in the long line of efforts by the adversary and his forces to wipe out and obliterate the Jewish people. Why would Hasatan, the adversary, mark Israel for special treatment in that regard? Well, we need to remember God's plan to redeem mankind involves Israel. Right? The scriptures came from The Messiah came through Israel. It shouldn't make us surprise us at all when we read about the historical persecution of our people, notably the 300 years of the pogroms, where organized violent attacks targeting Jewish villages took place, partially initiated by local economic and political upheaval. Various hoaxes have come to bear, various false charges and libels from the poisoning of the wells the blood libel, they control the economy, Jews aren't patriotic, they don't fit in, the Jews killed Christ, to the protocols of the elders of Zion, a tract allegedly a Jewish plot to achieve world domination purportedly written by a group of Jewish people known as the elders of Zion. All of these were a precursor. All of these came before Adolf Hitler became chairman of the Nazi party in 1921. For most of us, if you're my age or older, the introduction to the Shoah came in your elementary school through newsreel and documentary footage. Gruesome films, unedited footage of the horrors of the Nazi death machine. But again, today, and I so appreciate when John shares with me what he's doing in his classroom, but there is a generation, Gen Z is growing up without Holocaust education, for the most part. It's rarely taught about in public schools. Rarely discussed even outside Jewish space. The memories of the atrocities at that time are fading as the survivors die every single year. My friends, if we don't teach it, if we don't study it, if we don't memorialize those who died during it, if we don't at the same time celebrate its martyrs, celebrate its heroes, celebrate the soldiers, celebrate the liberators, celebrate the freedom fighters of the ghettos, then we're going to allow the stranglehold of Nazi evil to finish that evil task that it started. A trip several of us took, it's been 11 years now, to Auschwitz in the Birkenau camps. We walked in the footsteps of the millions that were killed. That was an experience that we will never forget. Birkenau, the women's camp, was the, where the largest number of killings took place. It's the place where the famous Dr. Joseph Mengele inspected millions as they arrived by train and chose for them left, immediate death, or right, slave labor, starvation, disease, and then death. Birkenau housed up to 90,000 prisoners at its capacity. Listen to this. It could cremate up to 10,000 corpses a day if desired by the Nazis. Pictures in the films, they do not do justice to actually walking on the grounds, seeing the sheer magnitude of death. It is the most horrifying and evil thing that you will ever experience in your life. And it's really hard to convey the disgusting and appalling that you'll find in the camps. I tried to do so. I returned 
uh, that year at this time and showed video footage and photos. I remember going through Auschwitz and, and the docents who were taking, they wanted me to shut the video, no, I wasn't going to shut the video camera off. And we came back and showed that. And underlying resentment against God is endemic to most people who are directly affected or indirect, indirectly affected by the mass extermination by the Nazis, including those whose arms today still bear the tattooed numbers. Countless atheists, countless agnostics wish, they wish so greatly that they could believe in God, but they just feel they can't. The legacy of the Shoah has robbed numerous survivors from their birthright. That is an abiding faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Messiah foretold by the ancient prophets. And so as we remember today what happened over seven decades ago, we don't stand in judgment over Germany or any other nation, but we honor the memory of those who perished. We acknowledge our debt to God for having saved you and I from death and as believers in Yeshua to recognize the mercy by which we have become partakers in the good things to come. If we have hope, it's because of the sure promises of our God, the God of heaven and the God of earth. And we are called to be witnesses of that hope this morning. I'm going to ask those who um, I've asked to come forward to help us in this process with a candle lighting ceremony, if you'd come up. The eight of you. Reader one, please. Yes. Two Jews, three opinions. Apparently, two Messianic Jews, four or five opinions about where to stand. I tell you, it's it's a tough crowd. Dars, you're one. Shuli. If you'd come up. Today we light memorial candles to those six million Jewish dead and those who stood with them against evil and who died sanctifying the name of God. This candle of memorial reminds us that even one small light can help to conquer the darkness. 
If I could light six million candles for 70 years and allow my tears to flow without end, still the cry from the ground where the blood of the innocent was poured would not be drowned out. We who claim to follow the way of God must always remember. For the Lord will make war with Amalek in every generation. The children of Abraham are those who pursue justice and righteousness. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The Christian religion, said Bishop Holfrich of Limburg, in his letter to, of Lent in 1939, has not gone out of the nature of these people, the Jews. Rather, it has had to make its way against them. The greatest miracle of the Bible, said Archbishop Conrad Grober, is that the true religion, Christianity, could hold its own and maintain itself against the voice of Semitic blood. Odd, is it not? that neither Bishop Holfrick nor Archbishop Grober could explain away the embarrassing fact that Yeshua was a Jew. against the vast audiences who accepted the view of racial hatred, which had been inculcated by centuries of anti-Semitism preached in the churches of Germany, a few voices spoke out. Provost Bernard Lichtenberg of St. Hedwig's Cathedral in Berlin prayed for the Jews and non-Aryan Christians the morning after Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht was the night of shattering of glass the night that shattered the Western soul. Provost Lichtenberg reflected, what took place yesterday we know. What will be tomorrow we do not know, but what happens today we have witnessed. Outside a synagogue is burning, and that also is a house of God. Cardinal Fallhauber of Munich also spoke out, history teaches us, he says, that God always punished tormentors of the Jews. No Roman Catholic approves of the persecutions of the Jews. Racial hatred is a poisonous weed in our life. In October 1939, Cardinal Fallhauber provided a truck for the removal of the Torah and other religious objects from a synagogue when its rabbi thought it was in danger. Nazi mobs, infuriated by the Cardinal's actions, demonstrated their anger in front of his home, shouting, away with Fallhauber, the Jew's friend. In recognition of the partnership of many German Christians with the Nazis, Lutheran pastors met in Stuttgart. One, a pastor, Niemöller, declared, we are bound to the German people in a community of suffering, but also in solidarity of guilt. In the most silent moment, in the darkness of night, a voice is heard from the depth 
of my soul. Remember, remember. For if you do not remember, we can have no rest. Remember, remember, lest the world forget and relive. Against. <clears throat> Robert, do you want to help her too? Against the darkness of night, there are those who managed to cleave to the light. A voice is heard in Ramah. It is Rachel weeping for her children. Pharaoh said, throw all the male children into the river, but the females keep alive. And Herod slew all the male children under the age of two. The Ukrainian guards took all the Jews of Livoch to the cemetery. The youngest member was a boy by the name of Ephraim. The rabbi said to his congregation, <clears throat> Before the Ukrainian guards could move, little Ephraim went up to the rabbi and began to cry. Rabbi. <clears throat> so little Ephraim said, we are about to enter the kingdom of heaven, therefore do not be afraid. Fortunate are we that we have been found worthy to die as Jews. We will march straight to that place where rest the righteous for whose sake God has allowed the world to endure. And so as Charlotte read before the Ukrainian guards could move, little Ephraim goes up to the rabbi, begins to cry. Rabbi, please don't leave me. Take hold of my hand so it won't be so hard. And so the Jews of Lenovich, who were led by the rabbi and a little child, entered the cemetery. There they were all shot and buried in one mass grave. When Cecil Klein arrived in Auschwitz, she was 18 years old. That first day, prisoners came and explained the fate awaiting them. Young women with children, middle-aged and old people were being selected and killed the same day. Cecil's mother also listened to the news. Immediately, she ran over to Cecil's sister, who held her little boy. I have just heard from a prisoner that women with children will be spared hard labor. Let me take little Danny. You are young. You'll survive the hard labor. It's for the best. Now go. Cecile's mother did not give her sister an opportunity to object, but quickly removed the child from her arms and joined the line of other women with children. Walking off, she managed to yell to Cecile, Take care of your sister, though Cecily was the younger one. The mother knew the agonies that her daughter's Cecile's sister would suffer when she would find out the truth. Cecile's sister was only 21 years of age that night. Her mother and nephew, Danny, the son of her sister, were killed. 
So the mother here sacrificed herself for her daughters. The Nazi reign of terror swirled like a huge net, sweeping everything and everyone into cold, dark captivity. The soldier was no respecter of persons. The boots cared not what they crushed with their fierce step. The poor, the rich, the humble, the famous, the simple, the educated, those whose small contribution went unnoticed, those whose talents had blessed nations. The concentration camp became the great equalizer. No longer did it matter who or what you were outside those walls. There, everyone shared the same simple desire to survive. Dignity was something buried deep within an undernourished shell of flesh. The words of the dead came alive in the camps, shattering the power of the Nazis with their last breath, defying the power of the Nazis, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising has become in a way a bright moment during those dark times. Surely the captives in that small community concluded it is better to die fighting, defending, resisting, than to suffer a humiliation that's even worse than death. Poorly armed and underfed, the ghetto fighters withstood to the end. With the children, they fled the Holocaust to keep alive the flame of faith. A mother's body could not survive Siberia, but her soul lived on to inspire her family. A father and a child came to America and planted anew the eternal seed. The precious grew and flourished and nourished the flame and overcame adversity and torment. With faith in their heart and with a sidur in their hands, the family remained a bastion of Torah. With devotion to Torah, faith in the one whose mercy, who mercifully heard the prayers of his people Israel. And so for the second time today, I'm gonna to ask you to stand as we recite the Shema. Please sing it along with me again. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Mahalchuto Leolah Vah.
together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Adonai hu Eloheinu, Adonai hu Eloheinu, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. You may be seated. Kaddush is a prayer in Aramaic, which in Judaism has become associated with mourning. However, it is not a prayer which concerns itself with death, but rather a prayer of assurance and the praises of God. Perhaps tradition has made the Kaddush a gift to mourners, for at such times we need to be reminded that it is God who finally rules the world that it is God who will comfort the unconsolable, who will avenge the tyrant, who will right the wrongs and correct the injustices, that it is God who creates peace in heaven and on earth, both in the world around us as well as within our hearts. We will recite the Kiddush together in English. May his great name grow exalted and sanctified. In the world that he created according to his will, may he establish his kingship. Austria, 53,000 Jews killed. In your lifetime and in your days and during the lifetime of all the house of Israel. Czechoslovakia, 255,000 Jews killed. Swiftly and soon and let us say amen. amen. Poland. 3,271,000 Jews killed. May his great name be blessed. USSR, 1,050,000 Jews killed. Forever and ever. France, 140,000 Jews killed. Blessed, praised, glorified. Belgium. 57,000 Jews killed. Exalted, extolled. Luxembourg, 3,000 Jews killed. Mightily upraised and lauded. Norway, 1,000 Jews killed. Be the name of the Holy One, blessed is He. Holland, 120,000 Jews killed. Beyond the voice of all, Italy, 20,000 Jews killed. Blessing and song. Yugoslavia, 64,000 Jews killed. Praise and consolation. Greece, 64,000 Jews killed. Which are spoken in this world. Bulgaria, 5,000 Jews killed. May there be abundant peace from heaven. Romania, 530,000. Jews killed. And life upon us and all Israel. Hungary, 200,000 Jews killed. He who makes peace in the high heavens, may he make peace upon us and all Israel 
and let us say Amen. Dachau. Buchenwald. Sachsenhausen. Auschwitz. Bergen Belsen. Flossenburg. Parisenstadt. A survival will read about a fire in the paper and desperately hope that her brother died from the fumes before the fire reached him. A survivor, survivor will be very quiet yet scream inside. A survivor will cry and pretend to her children it's a headache. A survivor will go to a funeral and cry, not for the one who died but for those who died and were never buried. A survivor awakes in sweat from a nightmare, unable to sleep again. In vain do they chase the ghosts from their bedside, but they remain as guests for the remainder of the night. A survivor possesses one thing we do not, an utter fearlessness of death. For to the survivor, death signals a relief from the nightmare of the past. Remember Yom HaShoah. If we remember, we proclaim and honor the name of God. O Lord our God, it is our hope and prayer that in our days we will see the earth full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We pray, Lord, we pray for the soon return of Yeshua. For it has been foretold, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one. And so in honor of our fallen spiritual brothers and sisters, would you stand with me and join with me as we sing the national anthem of Israel, which is Hatikva, the hope. Shalai, the 
Thank you, readers. I'm going to ask you to exit stage left. Surely stay up here. Who is... We had, had, we had two up here who had um, deaths in their own family from the Shoah. Surely has prepared a program with some others as well, some from her Hebrew class who had come forward at this time as well. Maybe seated. In 2012, three years after my dad passed away, my dad never wanted to speak about the Holocaust to us as children to anybody. I visited Auschwitz and I came up with the poem that you're going to hear read in Hebrew by these fine people and then I will read the English version. Abba Shali Haya nitzol shoah, shelo yada ledaber, al eme hayamim hahem. Inav hakulot hayim bahen, udemaot nistraot, ishev, mesluban bezoreach. Kolo hanaim. Manjanat Hava Hukha Hasharhi Hakultek Babarshar Ufolak Achim Hayulor Achayat Shalosh Vehorim Niflaim Tehorim Haverim Lemishak Achavot Seirot Vehaim Metukim וירד הגרזן וניתז הדם ונשרף הבשר ונעקרו הציפורניים ונתלש השיער ונבעטה הבטן מלאה בחיים חדשים וסומו העיניים וניתץ הלב לרסיסים קטנים קטנטנים, אבודים לעולם. 
The English version, you're going to understand a little bit better than the Hebrew. It's pretty loaded and it's pretty graphic. And I'm sorry to say, I'm not apologizing. My father was a Holocaust survivor who did not know how to speak about the horrors of those days. His blue eyes had life in them and hidden tears in white hot screaming pain. His pleasant voice like a melody of life, of love, and a soft silent cry that cuts in the flesh and slices. He had brothers, sisters, three, and wonderful, pure parents. Friends to play with, young loves, and sweet life full of light. And then the axe fell. And the blood spluttered, and the flesh burned, and the nails uprooted, and the hair torn off. And the stomach was kicked, filled with new life. And the eyes became blind, and the heart shattered into small shards, very tiny ones, lost forever. After, after writing this harsh, sad, puncturing poem, I would like to end my part here with hope. So I wrote two versions to a poem that I'm calling The Hope. Mitoch dam udemaot mimaamakei hapechadim חזקים נעמוד, החיים הם עדים. שם חושך נורא, פרחים לא שמחים. הנה בנו הלום עם אורות מחייכים. אנחנו חיים, התופת נגמר. תקווה מביאים, יש לנו מחר. From the blood and the tears and the depth of the fears, standing strong, heads up high, here's to life, not to die. There was darkness in place where no flowers had grace, but today, life is right, many moments of light. We are here so alive, and we know how to thrive. See the smiles? We can cope. Let your hearts feel the hope. And we still have a lot of tikva for the future. Thank you very much. At this time, I'd like to call up Ella Oliver. As I mentioned at the outset of the service, we contributed to the Butterfly Project this year. The Butterfly Project, the ceramic butterflies, which you can take a look after the service. 
are part of the official global count which memorializes the 1.5 million children who were killed in the Holocaust and honors the survivors. Every butterfly painted represents a child who was lost and symbolizes a voice that is gained. So Ella, I'm going to give you the microphone here. This poem was written by Pavel Friedman at Theresienstadt concentration camp on June 4th, 1942. On September 29th, 1944, he was deported to Auschwitz where he died. The last, the very last, so richly, brightly, dazzling yellow. Perhaps if the sun's tears would sing against a white stone, such, such a yellow is carried lightly way up high. It went away, I'm sure, because it wished to kiss the world goodbye. For seven weeks I've lived in here, penned up inside this ghetto. But I found my people here. The dandelions called to me, and the white chestnut candles in the court. Only I never saw another butterfly. That butterfly was the last one. Butterflies don't live here, in here in the ghetto. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward one more time. I wanted to do, listen, we try to hit this from different areas every year. And I wanted you to take something from this service. And so I've uh, ordered some candles that you might take home with you this evening in light. Each candle uh, is, has on it, wrapped around it, the story of someone murdered in the Holocaust and a little bit about them. The one I just pulled out this morning Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak Blach, born 1891, died 1941. In Telts, Lithuania, son of Rabbi Yosef Lieb Blach, the chief rabbi and Rosh Tells Yeshiva. He perished in the Tells, Lithuanian massacre. And so I'm going to be remembering Rabbi Blach tonight as I light this memorial candle. And so you have an opportunity to take from the service and to let it continue on through your weekend as well. A couple of quick announcements for you this morning. Um, this week, well, I just want to open up a little bit with you. Um, over the last 26 years since I've been leading here and 27 years this week in our marriage, um, my understanding of vacation means you've got to combine ministry with that. That's just a strange situation, my, my understanding. So that's what we've done for all these years. We go to conferences, I speak, have meetings, and, and that's a week of vacation. It's really not, actually, even though I love what I do. I love it. We were here at a men's prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, but it was, you know, in all of our jobs, we get stressed, right? And I was just praying for attitudes regarding jobs. I was really praying for myself about my attitude toward my job and not just here, but in other ministries we're involved in and, and just pray for a new attitude, a better attitude. And I was really praying at the prayer meeting for myself to have a good attitude. It was an extremely stressful day on that particular Tuesday. And one of the gentlemen felt I was praying for him. I uh, told me later, and he felt convicted about it in his own job. And, 
and he went home, and his wife said, hey, how was a prayer meeting? How was a men's prayer tonight? And he said, man, it was, I just, I just got slammed, man. I just feel convicted. I've, I've got a bad attitude toward my job, and Rabbi Joel was praying for people's attitudes toward their job, and his wife interrupts him and says, I've been praying that exact thing for you. So we love what we do, but it is stressful at times, and so um, my wife and I are going to take this week off, and we'll be back for the service next Saturday, but we're, we, need, we need brain shifts in our lives. Even if you love what you do, sometimes the Lord can really speak to you on times of break and vacation to look at things a different way, and we need that mental shift. And so I'm learning I love Shabbat, I love rest, but I operated just like many of you, probably most of you, at a type A high-intensity level where you just can't disengage from it. Our phones, we, can't, we get hundreds of emails a day, phone call. It's hard to even... How many of you have been without your phone for like two hours? I don't, I, I'm not raising my hand. I don't think I have been. We're tethered to it. But we need to rest. and We need to get refreshed. We need to focus on our spouses. Yes, I hear you. So we're going to take a few days off, and I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, I'm not a great example of this. I'm a martyr. I use it as a, you see, they took vacation. I haven't been on vacation for 15 years. It's not something to be proud of, honestly. Really? So take some time with your family. Take some time as we roll into this summer and get some time away, and so... I'm grudgingly going away. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to going, getting away with my wife, and I'm going to come back with a burnt face from sun, and we're looking forward to going. And so uh, if you call me this week, I had actually one guy in the MJAA this week. He said, Joel, you can't go on vacation this week. I said, I can't? Let the world revolve around us for a few days. It's amazing how the world goes on without us. Every one of us. So unless it's an emergency and not that your cat got into a fight with a neighboring cat and you got to call me for prayer about it. Not that anybody's ever done that. You're, I'm kidding, of course. But I appreciate it. But I'll, we'll be back and we'll be um, back next week celebrating what we kind of sang about this last song. Uh, the, the hope that Israel's back in the land. Israel's Independence Day. We're going to be celebrating that along with uh, Mother's Day too. So every lady... Uh, who serves here. You're not going to be serving next week. We ask you to rest. We want to honor you. So come in with, an, with a great time and expectation. We're going to have a little, we're going to have some surprises for you. So we're excited about that. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Every wife is going to come away from the service banging on their husbands. We need to go away to Paris tomorrow. <laughs> Spending thousands of dollars. We don't have, no. Okay. All right. Hallelujah. Well, like myself, many of you have uh, in the past attended community Yom HaShoah commemorations. There was one I attended at Yad Vashem back in Jerusalem in 2012 that was particularly moving. Yet in, in all of the Holocaust memorial services that we can avail ourselves to in our city and around the world, one area of Holocaust studies that really has been neglected concerns uh, Jewish believers in Europe who perished. It's reputed by the that by the 1930s, there were more than 200,000 Jews in Europe who embraced Yeshua. Now, we don't have specific, actually, we do have specific records of some of these 
uh, Jewish believers in Yeshua who died at the hands of Hitler and his henchmen. But Jewish believers were not condemned because they were messianic. They were not condemned, uh, condemned because of their faith or their religion, but because of their genetics. It was a racial extermination based on the number of grandparents, not on the basis of one's beliefs. Jews of all walks of life uh, proceeded to the chambers of death together, and all are counted as part of the six million who we know it's many more than that um, who perished in the Shoah. May their memories be a blessing among the mourners of Zion. I'm so thankful years ago, Jews for Jesus, the organization, did a series of articles profiling this issue. Uh, and they wrote this, quote, beginning in 1933, most Protestant clergy willingly accepted Hitler's racist views. The Nazi regime issued the edict of April 1933 called the, quote, Law for the Restoration of the Professional Civil Service. Many Protestant clergy consequently agreed that the Nazi policy uh, with the Nazi policy and chose to eject all pastors who had Jewish parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents. The church voluntarily Aryanized itself, immediately firing all pastors of Jewish descent in 1933. By 1935, all congregants of Jewish descent were expelled. Theologically and politically, the fates of Christians and Jews were bound together. But the tendency of most Germans, including those left within the church, was to put an even greater distance between themselves and the Jews. Jewish, left to themselves, Jewish believers formed their own groups. Professor Kai Akair Hansen has written about some of these groups in Theresienstadt, a small city, as we read this morning, in a, uh, the German-occupied part of the Czech Republic. During the war, Theresienstadt was a Jewish ghetto and concentration camp. He wrote this, quote, Among those who died in Theresienstadt, or were deported from Theresienstadt to the death camp Auschwitz, or survived the horrors in Theresienstadt, were individuals who were Christians of Jewish descent. It is tempting today to call them Messianic Jews, but this would not correspond with their self-perception. Like most other Jews in Germany, they saw themselves as Germans. Unlike most other Germans, Jews, they were Jews who had embraced the Christian faith, some by conviction, others for pragmatic reasons, but in Theresienstadt, they shared the fate of Mosaic Jews. In the eyes of the Nazis, their Christian faith did not obliterate their Jewishness. Hans Werner Hirschberg arrived in Theresienstadt on February 10, 1944. He survived and he later wrote this, quote, One-tenth of the Jews who had been interned there belonged to a Christian confession. Some were Protestants, some Catholics. Among these Jews, there was a group of evangelical Jewish Christians from Holland, 400 in number, that distinguished themselves. They even had a Jewish Christian pastor with them. Many of our church members had, although they had been baptized, never really considered being followers of Jesus until they came to Theresienstadt. But here, under the influence of God's word, many of them were truly converted. Jews who had been Christians in name only became true Christians. Many Mosaic Jews and Jews who had no faith whatsoever found Yeshua and were saved in Theresienstadt. I am one of the few survivors from the concentration camp in Theresienstadt. Most of my brothers went home to be with the Lord, but my Savior saved me out of this camp so that I might proclaim the wonderful things that he performed among those who were, quote, in the valley of the shadow of death. 
Theresienstadt then, my friends, serves as a window into what happened to believers of Jewish descent during the Holocaust. It's estimated that as many as 10% of the Jews in Nazi Germany believed in Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. And they suffered and went to their deaths along with their fellow Jews. And in past years, I've read articles from uh, 1946 and 1947 from the Quarterly Magazine of the International Hebrew Christian Alliance. And it's fascinating to read these reports of survivors. But today I want to finish up, as I do each year, with the toughest part maybe of this service. And that is to provide you with a proposed Messianic Jewish response to the theological problem of our generation. When we as a Messianic Jewish community are involved in dialogue about Yeshua with our Jewish brothers and sisters, as genuine as that dialogue might be, and it is oftentimes for both parties, one of the recurring stumbling blocks is this, is the Shoah. We get at how can we believe in a God who would allow the Holocaust to happen? And there are many reasons for this. Historians have given us nine key reflections from all throughout the Jewish world in terms of um, Jewish reflections on the Holocaust. I don't want to necessarily go into that. But we must, I believe, even go beyond what they have brought us as scholars in the Jewish community to these questions. And we have to answer these questions firmly but humbly. To go beyond the pain and the emotions of this issue and to wrestle with God and to wrestle with his word what he would have to say on these things. And I believe strongly that in the answer lies the key actually to Jewish people turning back to God in this generation. But it's hard to hear. It's hard to receive. We know that the vast majority of survivors became atheists. God does not exist. Or agnostics, God is unknowable, being once very religious. And again, they're reasoning, if, if a God such as what's described in the scriptures exists, he would have not allowed this to occur. If this God chose Israel as his segulai, as his peculiar treasure, then how could he have allowed a disaster of such unimaginable proportions to take place and their conclusion and the conclusion that they have drawn in mass by the millions is there is no God. Why then, if the people of God are his unique treasure, as Deuteronomy 7, 6 tells us, why did he allow the Holocaust to occur? You see, our cultural man, uh, mantra has always been never forget. And so we build memorials and we build museums and that's awesome. We're keeping the history alive. And all the while, the Jewish community says that education is the answer. But it's not enough. We need to know its purpose. So when asked about what I want to personally leave with you today, Elie Wiesel answered this. He says, with what I want to share with you, I refuse to consider this. And his response, I think, exemplifies how profoundly the horrors of the Shoah have influenced the belief among Jewry around the world. But I think we have to consider this today, my friends, for it may just be a part of the answer. And it lies in understanding, and if you've been with us this spring, we've been talking about the various covenants of God, 
we have to understand the conditions and the requirements of at least two of these covenants that God made with Israel. Number one, the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about it at length several weeks back. This was an unconditional covenant. The summary of it is very simply that Hashem, the Lord, will be God to the children of Abraham forever, that he's going to prosper and bless us and give them their own land. Eretz Yisrael, as we'll talk next week about. And the only requirement for a natural son of Abraham to be a beneficiary of this covenant is circumcision. Go with me quickly to Genesis chapter 17. We find in verse 10, This is my covenant that you must keep between me and you and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised. You must be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and this will become a sign of the covenant between me and you and also your eight-day-old olds must be circumcised every male throughout your generations including a house-born slave or a slave bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed your house-born slave and your purchased slave must surely be circumcised so my covenant will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so it's because of this eternal everlasting covenant that the Jewish people, that we exist even to this day. The covenant, this covenant can never be annulled by Adonai, for he swore it as an oath. But some 430 years later, you recall from our previous study, God makes a second covenant with Israel through Moses, right? And this covenant, which was unlike the Abrahamic covenant here, was very conditional. And before we review it quickly, I want to just go on a record to say that I'm not legitimizing in any way the Shoah of our people on a theological basis. You know from your history class, countless massacres occurred that did not pertain exclusively to Jewish people. Yet, traditional Jewish theology has interpreted every major catastrophe in Jewish history as God's punishment of a sinful Israel. That's Jewish. That's tradition. But many of our Jewish people today fail to see how that position can be maintained without regarding Hitler and his SS men as instruments of the will of God. That's obscene simply to the Jewish mind for a good portion of our people to accept that. But I believe, again, as a Messianic Jewish movement and community, we need to, along with the rest of Judaism, wrestle with the Torah and draw some conclusions from it. So go with me uh, to Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's talk about this Mosaic covenant for a moment. We find in verse 1, now, if you will listen obediently to the voice of Adonai, your God, taking care to do all of its mitzvot, its commandments that I'm commanding you today, Adonai, your God, will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you will listen, if you listen to the voice of Adonai, your God. And you can take a quick scan through all those blessings. And we come to verse 15 then, but if you will not listen to the voice of Adonai your God, to take care to do all of his commandments and statutes that I am commanding you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And you could scan through those curses. 
And we pick it up in verse 59. Then Adonai will name, make your plagues and the plagues of your descendants extraordinary, terrible and prolonged plagues, severe and prolonged illnesses. Verse 62, you will be left few in number. Instead of being like the stars of the sky in number. Because you did not listen to the voice of Adonai your God. Now just, these are hard words to read. If just as Adonai rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you. So Adonai will rejoice over you to ruin and destroy you. And you will be uprooted from the land that you are going in to possess. Adonai will scatter you among all peoples from the one end of the earth to the other. And there you will serve other gods, wood and stone, that you and your fathers have not known. And among these nations you will find no rest, and there will be no rest for the sole of your foot. But there Adonai will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and a despairing spirit. Your life will hang in the balance before you. You will be afraid night and day, and you will have no assurance of your life. And these are the verses that have explained the history of Israel for the last 3,300 years. And so our Jewish people collectively have not seen the association, I believe, between the breaking of Torah, his word, and the suffering of our people. Look with me at verse 45. All these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not listen to the voice of Adonai your God to keep his commandments and statutes that he commanded you. Compare that with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That will cause someone wanting to maybe get a conversion to Judaism to think twice about that scripture. God did not expect complete perfection from his people. He simply required a sincere, strong, and continued effort to do all that he had commanded and asked of them. But we had transgressed God's Torah. And since we'd done that, why then did God then let us just be completely wiped out and destroyed? Well, because of that first covenant we just read. Because the Abrahamic covenant is still in force, it's eternal, it's everlasting. And will yet fulfill God's plan for the Jewish people as his chosen people. Rabbi Shaul in the New Covenant, Paul brings us some clarity on that from Galatians chapter 3. What I am saying, he writes, is this. Torah, which came 430 years later, does not cancel the covenant previously confirmed by God so as to make the promise ineffective. For if an inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham by means of a promise. Israel has been punished for breaking the Sinai covenant. But because of the earlier covenant with Abraham, 
God is going to reestablish His covenant that provides that our people would once again, as we sung today, come back to Him. The prophet Ezekiel is very clear in that statement. For thus says Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, I will do to you just as you have done, since you despise the oath by breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. Moreover, I will establish an eternal and everlasting covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. So you will remember, be ashamed, and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace when I have forgiven you of all that you have done. It is a declaration of the Lord. And so this covenant, which is referred to in Jeremiah 31, provides for Israel's release from the curses of the Mosaic covenant, as we know takes place in Yeshua, in order that the promises of the Abrahamic covenant might be fully implemented. And so this promise in Jeremiah 31 states that our people would always remain an identifiable people before the nations of the world. Jeremiah 31, 35, 36, and 37 says that. You see, if the Jewish people were to go to the way of the Hittites, or the Babylonians, or the Ninevites, or whatever, God's promises would be nullified, and Satan would essentially have a stalemate with God. And so in a desperate attempt to prevent the Messiah's return, Hasatan is doing all he can to wipe out and to destroy the Jewish people. God wanted the state of Israel to be born. And so in his rachamim, and his mercy, he sent what he calls fishermen. Jeremiah 16, 16. Theodor Herzl, founder of the World Zionist Organization, Zev Jabotinsky, leader of the Zionist movement, sent by the Lord in the early 20th century to be the early fisherman. Others later came, decades later, to Europe, and they said before the Second World War to our Jewish people, you need to go home to the land of your fathers. You need to go, you need to go, you need to go. And maybe that's what they're saying in Ukraine today, other Fishers as well. You need to go home to the land of your fathers. And many are. God prophetically promised that he would then, after the fishermen, send the hunters. And so we've seen the establishment of the state of Israel in our lifetime. We've seen the desert blossoming like the rose. God's at work. Even now in Israel's difficult season. To bring about all that his covenants contain. Baruch Hashem. April, if you'd come up. I'm going to ask you to chew on that this weekend as you light your memorial candle. Pray for our people. The hunters are here. Whether it's Putin or others, Jewish people are going home. Just got a great WhatsApp message from Diane Hickman, who now is an Israeli citizen and is living in Herzliya Petuach, one of the greatest cities in Israel. She's attended a couple Messianic congregations. It's fully in Hebrew, so she's having a little difficulty, although her Hebrews, she can pick up every fifth word or something, but she's doing great. She wanted to tell you that she's home now. Thank you for all your prayers and support and things that you did to 
help her wind up her home life here. Must be an amazing thing for her. Her Jewish family, very religious, but it's the Messianic Jew who goes back to the land of the entire family, the Fisher family. We're so proud of her with all the warfare that she went through. And there's going to be others from this congregation in the years to come. Remember, it was 1993, and the Lord had called my parents to move to Israel. And my dad was, I don't know, 50 at that time. And I'm like, Dad, you're really going to start over learning Hebrew language at age 50? Really? And I saw my parents move, and I helped them move over there. And my brother had already gone after his college experience. And, and I was the last guy supposed to leave. This was our family deal. Just a personal story here. It was our family deal. My brother goes first. We pack up his stuff. My parents go next. We pack up their stuff. And Joel's on the last boat. And so I called the realtor. I owned a condominium at that time in Spring Valley. And realtor's coming Sunday morning. Because I'm out. I'm gone. But Saturday night, there happened to be a Messianic conference at the town and country in San Diego wasn't put on by an organization I was affiliated with, but it was a Messianic conference and so on. And there was a lot of great Messianic worship and praise bands I wanted to see. And so I said, okay, I'm going. And that night changed my life and the trajectory of my life. I met this one at that conference. She didn't even live here. She was, came down with some girlfriends from Irvine. Well, I was smitten. And that was our first date. I wound up driving her home. Now, we would never do this today in, in the realm of people. We don't know who people are, you know. But she allowed me to drive her home. And, and that was the first date. And we got engaged. Oh, my gosh. No, we didn't. No, I mean, like three months. Was it three months later? We got it. Ten weeks. It was ten weeks. Yeah, it was ten weeks. How we do remember things differently. And so Sunday morning, the realtor had to call the realtor, cancel, sorry. I think something's going on here. Needless to say, my parents were not happy with me. But God was giving me the best days ahead with Darcy. It didn't negate what God was still doing in Israel and my parents they eventually moved back here 10 years later. And my brother is still there with his family doing well in Israel. And I've always had a heart for Israel. And we've toured Israel many times. And sometimes even the best laid plans of mice and men in our lives, even the great things, because if God wants you to go this way, he will open a door that no man can shut. And he will close a door that no man can open. And if I didn't hear the Lord saying, go to this conference, I'd be in Israel now speaking Hebrew and I wouldn't be here and who knows what would happen to Tree of Life. God has a great plan and I will never second guess that decision. It was the right decision to make and 27 years this week is going to confirm that. And we're going to have a great time. And I know many of you could say stories like that of how God intervenes when you think you're going one direction. I'm asking you to stand with me today as we seal this time. I know we've gone long today. We've gone long today, but it's been a good day. 
I'm going to ask you to spend some time out there and look at some of the educational materials we've provided for you. And I want you to receive today the blessing of God that God told Moses to tell Aaron and his sons how to bless the children of Israel with these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua of Nazareth. And all of us as his people said. Amen. 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 Shabbat shalom, everybody. We'll see you outside for Kiddush. Give a hug to somebody you've never met today. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, treeoflifeca.org, and be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Congregation, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. Be sure to tune in for our next episode as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through Scripture.